And I believe there's this false impression that the most successful people, whether they're entrepreneurs or professional athletes or entertainers or, or people in your community or your pastor or whatnot, are just these you know superhuman beings, but we all have them. And I've I learned through interviewing people for the book, but also just talking to people, clients, you know, successful tech entrepreneurs who at first had imposter syndrome. And I do a lot of volunteer work with the Navy SEAL and the special ops communities. And they have these big self-limiting beliefs about, oh, I don't have the right experience. And, and it's like, gosh, no, you absolutely do. You've led these teams in situations that had no safety net. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs here with episode 50 of the Solopreneur Success Podcast. You just heard a clip from my recent conversation with Darren Renke, founder of executive coaching and training company Group 60 and executive coach to CEOs through the CEO Forum at UCLA Anderson. Now, Darren will be the guest trainer for the February 2022 live training inside my Solopreneur Success Connections community. If you'd like a free ticket to attend that training via Zoom, Keep listening past the outro music following the interview to hear all the details. In fact, always listen past the outro music because I regularly share upcoming events and freebies you won't want to miss out on in that post-outro music segment of the podcast. Now, in the chat Darren and I recorded for this episode, we talk a lot about an incredibly common challenge among solopreneurs, how to overcome self-limiting beliefs. And you're about to benefit from that conversation right now, because Darren is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Darren Renke, founder of Group 60, an executive coaching and training company focused on great leaders from the inside out. Group 60 works with leaders and teams at Fortune 500s, mid-market companies, fast-growing startups, and visionary nonprofits. He's also the author of The Savage Leader, which is a new book I've been reading recently that provides 13 principles for becoming a great leader. It's a book I do recommend for you to read. He also has some great side tools you can download that are associated with the book. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Darren, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Hey, so Darren, your book talks a little bit about your journey from corporate world. And a lot of us who are solopreneurs have the same kind of story. I know it's interesting for a lot of people to see what, what caused you to go from the corporate world into this life of entrepreneurship. So Maybe you can share a little bit about how you went down that path to entrepreneurship. Sure. And if you don't mind me going back a little further in time, a bit of a unique background, or at least I think it's a bit of a unique background. My parents are both veterinarians. And so for me, my worldview is really around health science. So growing up as a kid, I knew what it meant to be a veterinarian, to be a physician, to be a dentist. I knew about all those array of jobs. I really just didn't have a good sense for the work world beyond that. And so as I went through high school and halfway through college, I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon. And my sister's actually what I would call a human dermatologist, which people will look at me strange because my mom is actually a veterinary dermatologist. And my plan was to play that same trend forward and to become a quote unquote human orthopedic surgeon, like my dad, who's a veterinary orthopedic surgeon. And so I went through about halfway through college and just realized that med school wasn't for me. Just that path wasn't the right thing for me. And 
I got inspired and intrigued by some business classes during my undergrad at UC Davis. And as I mentioned about halfway, I, I talked to a, my best friend growing up on the street. His dad was a, an executive for a very large bank. And I was just, gosh, you know, I just, I don't think I want to go into health science. I'm interested in business. He said, well, take a look at investment banking and consulting, and that'll give you a, a best way to actually experience business and get a sense for different industries, different functions, different marketplaces and so forth. And so I ended up landing a job at Accenture, what was Anderson Consulting at the time in San Francisco. And at that point in my career, I was thinking, okay, I want to be a Fortune 500 CEO, which obviously I was clearly deluded because that's definitely not the path. I mean, it's immense amounts of pressure and a lack of work-life balance. But at that time, that's, that's more or less the path I, I saw in front of me. And I ended up going into business school because I figured, okay, I got a great four-year experience at Accenture. I learned a lot, but I don't really know what's next, but I do know that I need a greater business foundation. So in finance and in accounting and in marketing, et cetera. And so I did my MBA at UC Berkeley, and that just led me to the next stop, which was to get passionate about consumer brands. So I did an internship at Neutrogena. It's a subsidiary, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. And then ended up just working a lot in, in that field. I worked for Gap Corporate. And over time, just it was interesting as I was walking through the halls of Gap, I said, what is it that feels the same as when I was walking the halls of Accenture and all the different client sites that I worked on? And for me, it was just a sense of large corporations and layers of bureaucracy. I remember just having some great ideas. It's just by the time they got through my boss and their bosses and their bosses, the idea wasn't even the same as what it started as. And so I, I lost a lot of the passion for working in that Fortune 500 context. And so I, at the same time, started to get intrigued by this concept of, of entrepreneurship. And we were living in Los Angeles at the time. And one of my good high school friends, we were surfing almost every day and we got out of the ocean. He was working for a very large corporate law firm doing M&A types of deals. And I was working and doing consulting. And we thought, guys, there's got to be a better way. Just We have just horrible work-life balance. The type of work that we're doing is not particularly intriguing. And so we ventured into starting a surf travel company in the south of Brazil. So that was really my first foray into entrepreneurship. Uh, so I have to ask you, what, what led to Brazil specifically? Brazil, a couple of things is he took off from his, his company, Sullivan and Cromwell, and worked for a firm in Rio de Janeiro thinking, okay, I'm going to have a much better lifestyle. I think it was a little bit better lifestyle, but still a law firm is a law firm globally, at least in most cases. And so he'd had a, a taste of Brazil. At the time, everything was just shining towards Brazil. The economy was just really booming. Everything was cool. The Javiana sandals were big. Astibols were big. A lot of famous professional athletes, a lot of surfers. And so Brazil was really on the come up. And then also surfing at the same time was really blowing up through a lot of the movies like Soul Surfer and things like that. And so we combined those couple of factors, which was just everything leading towards Brazil, surfing being on the rise. And so that was really the reason why we wanted to launch in Brazil. That's, that's cool. I was curious personally because I had a girl who was kind of like interested in when I was in high school and she was from Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, actually. And so I started trying to learn Portugal Impressor and all this stuff. It was just kind of funny that you're in Brazil. And I'm just curious how you got down there. So how did that venture turn out for you? Well, it, it was interesting because from that moment of getting out of the ocean, from that point to launch with our first customers was six months, which is I thought pretty incredible. And we had a great business partnership. I was definitely more on the marketing and content creation side. He was more of the nuts and bolts, the operations and things behind the scenes, getting all our, our corporate documents lined up and so forth. So we, my wife and I, we packed up all of our stuff. We moved down to Brazil. We, we brought our cats. <laughs> we had two cats at the time, different cats we have now. 
and traveled down there thinking, okay, we're going to be there for a while. We could be there from six months if this thing totally flames out to probably a max of five years. And at which point we'll move back to the US. And so we, we got off and running really strong. So Hans and I, my, my ex-business partner, we sent out just big email blasts to people. We had, I think, I don't know, 50 people in our first season, which given it was high ticket prices for these packages, it was a pretty strong first year, especially considering we started just six months from saying, let's do this to being down there and having our first customers. So had a really good first season. But unfortunately, one of the lessons I learned is this, we just had different end games in mind. For me, I wanted to create the the action sports for Club Med. And for him, he just didn't want to be in the services business. He wanted to be just, I think, a little bit scarred from being in transactional law. Just We just had a misalignment in terms of what our outcomes were. And so ultimately, I ended up just pulling the plug there, deciding to exit from the business. And then my wife and I moved back to the, to the US, to back, back to Los Angeles. Yeah, that's a great lesson right there too, is a, before you go on a venture, if you're going to do a partnership, you got to be on the same page. And that's, that's so important. Have you done any partnerships since then? Or is that the only one you've done as far as that sort of a partnership? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that experience led me to go down the other path. And you know, I just realized the hard way that alignment upfront is so important. And I know that your audience is solopreneurs, but if they end up thinking of taking on a partner, it's just a really important thing to think about is what do you want to achieve with this business? What do you want within the next couple of years or five years? Because a lot of times people's life ambitions change. People have kids. I know my life changed a lot when I had kids in terms of what I wanted for my life and for my business. And so that was a big thing. But so since then, I went the other direction. So I had a, I had a decent idea, which was basically a Facebook for action sports coming out of that. This is when Facebook was only allowing you to have an account if you had a .edu email address, if people remember back that far. And so I thought, oh, interesting idea. Had a good idea. Went against my MBA learnings and didn't get it funded quickly enough. I don't know if the business model was right anyway, but just didn't go fast enough. And a partnership probably would have been really helpful just to help me from the tech side for sure. And um, ultimately, that didn't end up being a success because just I think I went the other way, which I was scarred from having a, a tough partnership and just didn't went the other direction too far. Yeah, sometimes find that equilibrium is is kind of the the path, and I've been down a, that road a few times with different businesses that weren't set up right. And I was a solopreneur in all of them, actually, not a partnership. But I know what you mean as far as sometimes you don't really take the path that is a good fit for you. So I'd love to hear some of you back on how do you recognize for you at least, and for those who help, you're a coach. How do you recognize the right path? What do you do to set yourself up for success at that beginning stage? I think the most important thing is for people to really have a good understanding of what their values are, like what really matters to them most. And I remember reading a book that nobody seems to remember, actually, except I was having a conversation recently with somebody else, and it was called "What Color Is Your Parachute?" Oh yeah, and I'm probably I'm probably going to totally butcher the you know essentially the core of the book, but it was more about just matching skills to jobs. And what I've realized is that I went down that path. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm decent at math and science. So let's go down the med school path. Okay, let's go down the consulting path. And it, it just didn't lead to a lot of a good fit in terms of what I really enjoy doing and what matters the most to me. So I think the most important thing, I don't think, I know the most important thing is to really tap into your values because that's what really matters. For me, something I realized in Brazil in spending every single moment pretty much with my wife, she's just, she was my fiance at the time, was that I realized that freedom of time and space to spend time with who mattered most to me was most important to me. And that really has played out in terms of how I've structured various businesses since then is to allow myself to be able to be there for 
my kids' holiday plays to be able to coach their youth sports team. So that's been really important. That's where I gained that value. But I think that's where I start with people is what matters most to you. Don't just jump into something because you have passion or something's exciting or you have some big market opportunity. I think what leads to long-term fulfillment and actually maybe counterintuitive greater success is when you can really anchor and align with your values. Right. I love what you said there too. And I just kind of laughed about the, you're right. The, what color is your parachute book? So I remember that from back in, I think it was the nineties when I first ran across that when I was in the corporate world. And I think it's still coming out with new additions to this day. But like you said, it is focused on skill set, and you're looking at an HR approach. Let me get this job and, and get hired. But is that job even in alignment with what your values are? I love what you said there is it's not about your passion. It's about your values. And that's a key distinction that you just made there. And I just want to make sure we don't overlook that or skip that because values is far more important than passion because your passions might change, but your values is kind of like at the core seat of who you are, I would say. And would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. And it's something I actually hadn't thought about this until now, which is that surf travel business while going into it, it was aligned with my passions, which is surfing and things like that. But more of my values is I learned the importance of empathy living in Switzerland as a kid, a nine-year-old kid. And that's a whole other story. But I love immersing people in new environments and new cultures and to see things through a different lens. So that business actually was aligned with my values, but going into it was really through the lens of my passion, which sparked the, the impetus for launching that company. Yeah. So how important do you think it would be to try to align passion and value together. Because I know some people are like, so, okay, well, I want to be passionate about what I do. And at the same time, I want to make sure I'm true to my values. How important do you think a match is there for success? Or, or is that even important for a match to be present for success? Yeah, something I'm still working through because I believe that values are more enduring. And so, you know, my instinct says that passion is something that could be more short-lived. But I think Passions may change over different points in your life. I mean, I know my businesses have, have changed radically based on what really mattered most or what I was excited about at the time. So, you know, I do believe that passions can change, but I think making sure that they're aligned with your values is what's really important. So for me, I get up every day because I just get so much energy by seeing people just transform and change the way they think about themselves, the way they show up and they lead their teams or they lead their companies, or even if they lead their own solopreneur venture. It's just that transformation, that transition is so important for me. But, and it's about giving back and helping people. And the reason for going into medicine originally was to help people. And now I'm doing that through a very different context, which is helping people through executive coaching and training. So the passions, the interests definitely have changed over time, but the underlying values have really always been there. Yeah, I love that. I'm on board with that. I just like to feel you out where you're standing on that. Because that is something that a lot of people talk about going to businesses, you know, do I have a passion for it? And, and just get passion for it doesn't mean you're going to make money at it either, but your values should drive the direction you go. And I, I appreciate that so much for your book, but I just want to kind of get a little more of a feel for that. One of the things that I definitely want to talk about today after reading your book was this whole idea of self-limiting beliefs. And I, I think we all have, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have them to some extent. So rather than saying, you know, just pretend you don't have them. I think it's more important. And you, you go through this in your book to recognize them, but how do you move past them to keep that from sabotaging your own success? I'd love to hear you on, on that specifically. I know it's in your book, but that's, our listeners haven't necessarily read your book. So how would you say you go beyond self-limiting beliefs? I think the first thing really is just to understand that everybody has them. 
And I believe there's this false impression that the most successful people, whether they're entrepreneurs or professional athletes or entertainers or, or people in your community or your pastor or whatnot, are just these you know superhuman beings, but we all have them. And I've, I learned through interviewing people for the book, but also just talking to people, clients, you know, successful tech entrepreneurs who at first had imposter syndrome. And I do a lot of volunteer work with the Navy SEAL and the special ops communities. And they have these big self-limiting beliefs about, oh, I don't have the right experience. And, and it's like, gosh, no, you absolutely do. You've led these teams in situations that had no safety net versus, hey, you're in the, you know, the civilian world, so to speak. And we have these massive safety nets in terms of, you know, if you fail, I mean, yeah, things could really happen. You can lose your house and that's not great stuff at all. But the reality is I think there's, they've learned to operate in a very different environment. So helping them understand and helping them eliminate those self-limiting beliefs is really important. But your question was about how do you actually overcome them? And really, it's about just starting by assessing that belief. Like, where did it come from? Is there any validity in it? You know, is it, gosh, I just, I'm not ready. I don't have the right experience. I haven't worked long enough. I don't know enough about this industry. I didn't go to the right school. I don't have the the Rolodex of potential clients or customers. Those are the tapes that play in our heads that are those self-limiting beliefs. But just, it helps to start and look at it and say, who said that? Is that really true? What's the real story? And I'll share my own example of challenging self-learning beliefs. Hopefully that's a, a playbook for how people can actually address their own, if you don't mind. But yeah, for absolutely. me, for me, for the longest time, I had this limiting belief about my ability to write. And it was really important for me because I realized that going from where I wanted to be to where I, I am, and frankly, where I want to go is the ability to convey complex thoughts, insights in a meaningful way in words. But unfortunately, I didn't get into AP English in high school. I struggled relatively speaking in college in my English courses, which were basically literature courses. And so I internalized that as, oh, Darren's a bad writer. I'm a bad writer. I can't convey these thoughts. And so that really played in my head and held me back from writing for a long time. And I remember I took the first plunge to posting my first blog on LinkedIn and I had a, a friend and I guess we're mentors to each other in different ways, but he's an incredible writer and I call him my provocateur. And I had David look at it, read it to see, does this, does this pass the smart filter? Because for so long, I was worried about being the Accenture Darren, the, the, uh, the Haas Berkeley MBA Darren, not like really the true me and the true words that I wanted to put out on paper. So I had him as my quote unquote smart filter. But Pushing that out there was really scary, but you know, seeing some some success, people enjoyed the article. It gave me some confidence and some courage to keep going. But writing a book was a totally different endeavor. I had a friend of mine. We we're going for a walk, and at the end of our walk, she said, "Darren, it sounds like you're going to write a book." And I thought, "Yeah, interesting." You know, I, I think about that because it would be so helpful in my career and my business, and to put some thoughts on page and to have it in a neat package that people could consume to get a sense for how I see the world and how I work with people. But that was a pretty big challenge is writing a book. And it's one of those things where it's like acting. Unless you live in LA, you say, I'm an actor. People kind of look at you a little bit funny. You know, I am writing a book. Yeah, good luck with that, Darren. Join the other trillions of books that are already out there. So it was definitely a belief that I had to navigate through. And so, but I started writing and I started telling people I was writing this book. I was interviewing people in the book. And once you start to do that, you start to make a commitment that you really can't undo. You can't walk away from. So that's one thing people can do is just to, to make a commitment to someone you respect and admire in a way to challenge that belief. So first, it starts with assess the validity of the belief. Most times, it comes from something in our own heads. In, in, in fact, most times it is. 
but then it's figuring out how can you actually challenge that belief? So for me, it was starting to write blogs on LinkedIn and on our own corporate website. But then also in terms of writing that book, it forced me to go on that path to write it. But gosh, publishing it was an entirely different endeavor. I had already committed to clients, some of these Navy SEAL folks I talked about who I couldn't be afraid to publish a book given what they have gone through and go through on a day-to-day basis. So I said, okay, I got to publish this thing. So I remember on January 4th of 2020, my wife's birthday, I hit publish on the Amazon marketplace. And that was just, okay, now I'm out of the safety zone. I'm out into the court of internet opinion to see what people think. So that was really a big test for me and to push myself out into really uncomfortable areas. But that's the way I've been able to help tackle that limiting belief. But it still comes up all the time when I'm launching a new endeavor, a new service, or pushing and marketing the book in a different way. I just, as we mentioned before we started recording, I recently recorded the audiobook for my book, which was a whole nother limiting belief I had to tackle. So hope that's, that's helpful in terms of just what I've gone through, what I did to actually help tackle those limiting beliefs. Yeah, I love that. And there's a couple of things here I just want to pull out. Is number one, you said assess the validity. So number one, ask yourself when you have a belief, you know, is that true? Is it now, does it even apply at all, or is it just something that you have a this mindset? And that's kind of just a, that's introspection. But I like what you said about challenging the belief by getting external. And that's sometimes where we refuse to go is we just won't put ourselves out there. And that's just an active choice that we make. And maybe it's subconscious sometimes, but I think a lot of times it's just like, oh, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. But the reasoning behind that active choice is a self-limiting belief. Mm-hmm. Something else that I, I think you kind of alluded to in your book, and I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on then. I was reading that chapter. I'd, I'd highlighted some, some places. And in the book, by the way, if you get the book, mark this down. Page 115 is where I'm highlighting here. And would it be okay if I just read a couple of paragraphs real quick from your book? Because I think it's excellent. Please do. Okay. So I'll read like a, a subset of this one paragraph a little bit further. And this is what Darren says in, in the book, challenge the truths. Talk about the self-limiting beliefs here. Challenge the truths by asking yourself questions like, is that really true? Or is that just someone's opinion? Or does that really apply to me anymore? Or is there any evidence to support that belief? Or is it all in my head? And I like what you hear, Darren. He said, also, force yourself to overcome those beliefs by making commitments. You mentioned this, too, about making commitments, the external commitment to people you expect. And then... The final thing you said in this little section, this is a takeaway section on page 115. You said, savage leaders look self-limiting beliefs in the face, don't accept them as truths, is a key, and make commitments to challenge and overcome them. And I, I love that part about the overcome, because maybe it's true. Maybe you put your book out there and it's flop. Does that mean that you can never be a successful author? And I'm going to say absolutely not, because maybe it's a process of growth you need to go through so that you can become the successful author. Sometimes the self-limiting beliefs, maybe there is a little bit of validity there. So I'd love to hear from the flip side of that is, let's say it's a self-limiting belief and there is some truth to it. How do you recommend people start moving to that overcoming stage where you say, okay, maybe it was self-limiting because it was true. How can I make it not true anymore? No, that's a great point because yeah, there could be some validity to it. You know, for me with my writing, was it top notch? I know it continues to get better in working with a world-class editor. She really helped me become a better writer, but I still need lessons to learn and to grow. But yeah, there, there definitely could be gaps. It could be experience gaps, knowledge gaps. But I think it's really about taking that mindset of being a lifelong learner and knowing yes. that we all learn everything. Yeah, we, we come out of the, you know, we start our 
our foray into the world, but it's really about what we do. We grow and we learn. It's pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone to grow and learn. I think it's that mindset of just growth in constant development and lifelong learning. And that's how you really can close those gaps. So for me, it was partnering with a world-class writer and editor to help me get my writing better. If it's industry jargon in language, find someone in your network. If you don't know anyone, reach out on LinkedIn or social media or different community groups of people who have expertise, who have experience. And one thing I learned from Keith Ferrazzi, who's written a slew of several great books, is there's actually a lot of generosity in actually reaching out to people to ask them to mentor you, which is a little bit counterintuitive. I know it was for me at first, but you have access to so many people in your worlds, both personally and professionally, to help you close some of those gaps, some of those skill gaps and experience gaps. So if there is validity to it, don't just say, well, I can't learn that. I can't do that. I can't get better at it. That's where the beliefs come back in, but actually go and do something about it. Go take a course, get a degree, learn from a mentor, read some books, watch TED Talks. There's so many different things that are out there that just didn't used to be, especially because of the internet, that you can learn and grow in so many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's two thoughts came to mind as you were just saying that. Number one is I like what you said about you know, reaching out to a mentor. And I, I think a lot of times that's a self-limiting belief that, hey, if I reach out to somebody, they're not going to give me the time of day. I remember reading in, in Tim Ferriss' book for our work week some years ago, and he talked about, I think he was giving a college class, and he challenged the students to reach out to different you know, leaders. And nobody would reach out to first class. And they could have like won his big prize. I can't remember all the details now. The truth of the matter was, it was simply they didn't do it because they didn't believe that it was possible, not because it really wasn't possible, because the next class, they did attempt it, and they had extreme success. I would say the same thing in, in my podcast, in my community. I've reached out to some people that I was like, well, I wonder if they would even reply. And I've had some amazing guests yourself and others come on down to podcasts and as guest trainers in the community. So take the shot, number one. Second thing that came to mind when you were saying that uh, about reaching out to mentor. Also, I think sometimes in the self-limiting beliefs, we think that because we're not at the very top of the game in the world at whatever we're trying to accomplish, whether it's being an author or a speaker or, or a business person or whatever it is, I think we sometimes forget that we still have value to bring. You don't have to be the world's foremost expert to bring strong value to somebody's life. As you go along your journey, you are bringing value to people by simply serving others. And I, I know that's like kind of a really basic thing, but if you're willing to put yourself out there, you can help others. And when you use self-limiting beliefs to not put yourself out there, I think you're you're failing to others in a great way. And I, I think that's such an interesting thought when you mentioned about you know reaching out to potential mentors being a service in a sense to them. I, I thought that was, that was really an interesting take and, and kind of spurred that thought on. Yeah, I mean, it is a great point in terms of how you can serve other people. That's the way you can get on people's radar, frankly, too, is offer to volunteer for something that's important to them if they're involved in philanthropy or whatnot. But I think with mentors, just one important point is when you do reach out to someone, especially if it's someone you don't think you can get access to, is be really clear in what you're asking of them. So I think people go, oh, well, you mentor me. It's like they think they're signing up for a 20 to 40 hour a week job. It's like, no, no, I just love to chat with you maybe once a quarter, or once a year for an hour. You know, I'll take you out to coffee or to lunch or what, whatnot and be really clear of what you're asking of them. I think you'll get a much better response when you can, can provide some parameters of what you're asking for. That's great advice. Yeah, I like that a lot. I sometimes have folks that, that ask me and I've helped some people 
just because I love helping people. And that's just who I am. And I believe it's important, though, like you said, to kind of establish some kind of idea, vision of where you're going when you start a conversation like that. And I kind of do that through myself. I do it through virtual coffees. And if anybody's interested in that, just go to my Meet Steve page on the website and grab a virtual coffee. I love chatting with you folks all the time. And it's just an opportunity for us to get to know one another. I don't know. How do you go about You just came to mind because I mentioned the Meet Steve page. Do you have like a networking or for yourself? Like how do you connect with new people? Great question. And I learned so much from Keith Ferrazzi. Obviously, he wrote a book on never to learn about networking and building relationships. He hates the word word networking. It's all about how you can add value to people. So I've learned so much from him. And I've done things like I'm very involved with my MBA community down here in San Diego. So I'm on the board of the the Berkeley Haas Alumni Association in San Diego, which basically means nothing more than we like to meet up for drinks (laughs) once a quarter. But as part of that, I do organize events. I've organized events on artificial intelligence, on cybersecurity and different topics. And that's a great way to actually meet people is I put the event together. I recruited guests, but I also recruited the panelists and speakers in many cases. If I wasn't, if I wasn't the speaker myself, it was a great way to actually go out and meet some just remarkable people. I just met some great people through those panels and as well as the guests. So that's one thing you can do is just to is something I do is which is I try to put on events. Haven't done that much lately since COVID, but I'm looking into doing some more virtual types of events since then. So that's one thing. And just, you know, reaching out to people in your network, people you want to learn and grow from. So I think that's really helpful as well. I mean, having my own podcast, having the book allowed me to actually reach out to people that would have been tricky to get in front of otherwise. So I've met some remarkable people through that and then other referrals and just, and I recognize not everyone has a podcast or has written a book, but I think reaching out to people, think about what you wanted to grow and to learn and be of value to those people. Think about what points of value, whether it's even introductions you can make to people. And that's one thing I love doing is, is making mutual intros. Actually, maybe that stems from, I introduced two people that got married in college, but I love being a professional matchmaker as well in terms of an ad agency, helping e-commerce companies. I, I did that in the past introduce different people for jobs. I mean, that's a great way to meet people and to network as well. Excellent. Yeah, I, I enjoy the same. I do have one more question for you as we wrap up our conversation here today. And I'm curious because you, you've now published a book. You have an audio book that'll be published by the time this goes live, I believe. What's next? I mean, what's next for you and your business and your professional path? What's, where are you heading? Yeah, something I'm thinking about a lot. And I was, I was talking to my editor a couple of months back about what should I be thinking? Should I go really narrow on one of the principles in the book or should I go broad? You know, I'm thinking about, I'm going to publish a blog about being a savage parent and that's applying those principles in a different way. So I'm thinking about what's next in terms of content. But for me, it's really about deepening and broadening the content. And so we're working on building some digital courses, creating some mastermind types of concepts based on the book, and then also rolling out corporate training for companies that actually want to bring the savage principles to their, to their leadership teams and to their new managers and high potentials. So that's what's next for me is, is translating the content in the book, which is meant more for an individual consumer to actually more of groups of people creating community around savage leaders who are people who are going through the journey, but also bringing it into organizations to help them actually adopt some of these principles. That's awesome. I love that goal. I think you can serve a lot of people with a book from what I've seen in here already. And again, that book is The Savage Leader. Make sure you get a copy of that if you're listening and read it. And there's some great tools. You'll see the link inside the book. You can grab some additional tools that work alongside the book uh, that I encourage you to get. 
And I'm sure it's been helpful for many of our listeners. So Darren, thank you for this conversation. Where can our listeners find out more about you? I know you have a website and all, but what would you recommend folks go to to, to connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn's great. I love connecting with people. So Darren Ranke, my name, I'm sure it's in the show notes. And if you're interested in the book and the Savage Leader community, if you go to thesavageleader.com, there's blog posts, there's information about the book, there's the podcasts, and that's all the information there. Awesome. Thank you. We'll make sure we have all of that in the show notes as always. And Darren, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. You can download the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash zero five zero. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, Darren will be the guest trainer for the February live training session in the Solopreneur Success Connections community. During that live training, Darren's going to deep dive into how to develop some of the most important core leadership skills you need to create sustained business growth despite the challenges that are sure to come your way. His presentation, Using Growth and Lifelong Learning to Drive Long-Term Solopreneur Success, kicks off on Zoom next Tuesday, February 8th, at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. The best part? Admission is free to every member of the Solopreneur Success Connections community. If you're not a member yet, grab yourself a free lifetime membership today at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash membership. There's no obligation or credit card needed. Just sign up and admission to all our live member training events is yours free, as well as many other benefits you'll learn about on that membership sign-up page, again at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash membership. You can also find that link on the show notes page for this episode. And that link again is solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 050. All right, that's it for today. I hope to see you at the live training with Darren next Tuesday. Have a great week.